0: The stories contained in this podcast are the recollections of the guests we've invited onto the show. We are merely an outlet for people to share their truths, and we accept no legal responsibility for the stories contained herein.
1: I'm Kendra Sheets. And I'm Rich Gill. And this is Enough, a podcast which aims to shine light into the darkened corners of the music industry while discussing the ways we can and should improve ourselves and in turn, our community.
0: Content warning. This podcast may contain frank and graphic descriptions of sexual abuse and assault, including instances of rape. These accounts can be triggering specifically for those who have also experienced trauma, especially of a sexual nature.
1: If at any point during this podcast, you feel yourself getting triggered, we suggest taking a break and taking care of yourself before continuing. But we do ask that you continue. These conversations are mentally taxing, but they are so important to have. Thank you.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Enough Podcast. My name is Rich Gill, and I'm the only host today because uh, my guest is Kendra. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) She's very excited about our conversation that we're about to have. It's not that I'm
1: not excited. It's just that I've never been on this side of this before, and let me say for to all of the guests we've had, you guys are so strong because I am so full of anxiety right now.
0: Well, we are very thrilled to have you share your story. You know, we're not just people behind a screen talking to people who have trauma and have experienced assault, harassment, and all those terrible things in their life. Uh, It happens to everyone, including us.
1: So to kind of dive into why we're doing this, in addition to what Rich had said, um, he and I talked a while ago about if we could do something to kind of, I don't know if celebrates the right word, but at least mark our one-year anniversary. And we started this podcast last year in July. It had been on my mind for about two years prior to that, although I didn't know what form it was going to take. I just knew that I wanted to try and do something about all the things that I was seeing. And so in our conversation, um, one of the things that we had discussed is the possibility of me sharing one of my stories. It is not my only story, but is definitely one that has changed my life. And we can go into it whenever you would like. <laughs> it's hard for me not to take a host point of view on this. I've not been on this site before.
0: <laughs> well, since people already kind of know who you are, we can probably skip through the formalities of the <laughs> how you got involved in whatever you got involved with right. in the music scene. Uh, but yeah, I mean, fuck it. Let's just dive right in.
1: Okay. So, well, we all kind of know I've been involved in music in some way for a very long time. I was obsessed with music since I was little, um, kind of tailored down further and further into punk and hardcore when I was in my like early teens, late Tweens, but they didn't call it that at the time. And I just kind of I grew up in a small town. and as you do in a small town, you start to theorize getting out of that town and basically all the things that are out there that you don't get a chance to see in your tiny town. So when I got the chance, I moved across the country and moved to California by myself at 17, and started going to college. And I had this very specific point of view or this kind of idea of who I wanted to date, who would be the perfect guy for me. And I actually ran into him on campus. It took me about a year. And then I found him. I saw him like across the quad, you know, type of like super stereotypical.
0: This is like romantic comedy type.
1: Yeah, except like, for the fact that he was dating someone. But I went up to him and I talked to him.
0: That's usually part of it too.
1: <laughs> well, kind of. So, um, I mean, he was just like my perfect idea, right? It's Very visually based at this age. Sure. So it's like colored hair septum ring band t-shirt skinny jeans and I was like ooh la la um (laughs) was it
0: was it Davey Havoc because it sounds like Davey Havoc
1: no but if this person listened to this they would be so mad that she made that comparison because they (laughs) had like a guttural hatred for my love of AFI which I had from like almost birth um (laughs) but yeah so we got to talking I went over you know made the first move and it was to find out that he was dating someone but we stayed kind of in contact at MySpace at the time. And then also Facebook when Facebook was still just for people in school. Um, I transferred schools from a school down in orange County and I moved up to LA and within a couple of months, he was single. We were talking, we went out on a date and it was just one of those like absolutely perfect dates. Like you couldn't ask for anything better. It was like literally my child dream had like turned into an actual human being. We went out, and I think I don't even remember what we did. I think it was dinner and maybe a movie, and then we walked around. The date went on for over twelve hours. Like he dropped me off at home when the sun came up, and we were just talking and just loving it. I mean, I I thought like this is it. This is the person I'm gonna be with forever. I mean, it was perfect down to a T, and it continued kind of this way. We we continued to date, and there was a lot of these kind of um, swooping romantic gestures. Uh, one time. I parked in a garage in L.A. in my apartment and um, we had spent the weekend together, maybe a, sa- a Sunday. I don't remember. But I went down on Monday to go um, drive to campus and I found a rose on my hood with a little note on it. And I was just like, this Aww. is the most everything that anything could ever ask for. Like, I thought I was just head over heels and um, we stayed together and uh, both of us ended up graduating. And m- then he moved into my studio apartment in Los Angeles. And there were some things, you know, hindsight, you go back to it and you're like, I, I could have picked up on some stuff before that, but I didn't really sure. realize it. And it was when we moved in together, that things started to go south really, really quickly. When we started dating, I was under 21 and he was drinking all the time. He was over 21, a couple of years older than me. And so drinking became my big thing, like, because it was his thing. It wasn't something I wasn't doing, but it became like the thing we did together. And it went from like having some drinks to like me throwing up like regularly on weekends because i was trying to keep up or like you know and then my tolerance started to increase i remember one time we had a halloween party at my apartment it went on for 12 hours and i drank a, a giant gallon like jug of captain morgan myself and i was like oh, so Kendra. proud of the fact that i was able to like stomach this because that's how high my tolerance was at the time first um, of all
0: that's disgusting because of what <laughs> no, is what you're drinking I
1: wouldn't Touch it again. He's smelling Captain Morgan.
0: Secondly, <laughs> you could die from drinking that much. Like that is yeah. bad but on so many ways. But at
1: 21, levels. I mean, you're like, Right, whatever. of course. I mean, of course. now if I have like one drink, I'd probably melt into the floor.
0: <laughs> if I smelled that, I would probably throw it.
1: Oh God, yeah. It's got its own smell. But I was doing this on weekends, you know, before when we were together, but separate and he was down still in Orange County. This is the thing that was going on on weekends but I didn't really know that he was doing this every single day of the week too. For me, it was just a weekend thing. And I was like, Oh, you know, I can shut it off. It's no big deal. It was to decompress from the week of school and, you know, all the studying and everything, but it just kept going. Once he moved in, it didn't end. And, you know, we both got out of school during the recession. So both of us got the shittiest jobs available in Los Angeles. I mean, we were making like $8 an hour and, and we couldn't even get full-time work. I mean, it was so hard. and. The fight started to happen. And at first, like I started to kind of go back to some stuff that people had told me before, like people had said like, Oh, I'm hard to handle. You know, I'm very stubborn. I know that I'm admitting that, you know, I'm hard to be around for long bouts of time. I don't think that I'll admit to that one. Um, they told me like, I'm hard to stay with things like that. So I, I kind of went back to previous abusive comments like that,
0: so, sorry, just to clarify, was this like friends or like romantic partners that were
1: Romantic partners.
0: Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. gotcha.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't be friends with people who are saying that I would just yeah. dump them. Whereas be if I'm dating shitty. someone, I keep them for a lot longer for God knows what reason. But, um, I just figured, you know, we, we moved in, we were having these personality clashes and I was like, well, it's just two people trying to get situated in a very small space. Like, Again, it was a studio apartment and both of us had like full on outfits of stuff that we were trying to cram into this tiny apartment. So I figured it's just, you know, my strong personality and, you know, I would just get over it. There were just so many things that happened when you look back on it in just this kind of rapid fire time, you know, we ended up moving, moving all of our items together. Uh, I had two hamsters and a Guinea pig, and then he had this fish. And so now we have all this stuff again, and then two people in a studio apartment and we had to use storage units for all of our stuff. So it just wasn't the best case scenario, but over that year, the next year or so, things went from tenuous to like very bad. And the fights always became about what I was doing wrong. There was a lot of 3am shouting. We had a a balcony that off the, um, the apartment that we would always sit out on and he would like chain smoke cigarettes and we'd be drinking and it would just be screaming and just fueled by booze fights. And it got to a point where we would have people over, um, people that we knew from college. And it got to the point where I, spent the evening trying to always be one step ahead of whatever could possibly go wrong to try and keep people from seeing what was going on because he wouldn't stop the yelling at me or he would make snide comments only to me and being drunk off my ass wasted I'd go from having a really great time to like sobbing hysterically in the bathroom and nobody knew why and I would feel like just such a complete asshole because you know, my job is you're at my house, I'm entertaining. I'm trying to be, you know, very Midwestern in the West coast. Like, (laughs) you know, what can I get you? Cheese platter. And there I am like sobbing hysterically in the bathroom. It was kind of this frivolous attempt because I never knew what was going to go wrong because nothing ever was really rational when it went wrong. There was, there was never one thing that I said or did. It was me existing almost. And I am saying this with years, years of hindsight, because in it, it was me doing wrong stuff all the time based on what I was being told. And he would get pissed off and, you know, start brooding over, a, you know, a beer or a mixed drink. And then all of a sudden he would just attack. And sometimes the attacks were verbal. And sometimes later they became physical.
0: Was it always when he was drinking or was this also?
1: At first.
0: Okay, gotcha
1: again, saying this with some hindsight, I am able to have more clarity. I mean, a lot of hindsight at this point, but um, when you're able to kind of pull back and look at the entire relationship as a long kind of chron- chronological trajectory, yeah, it's really, and we've talked about this with some of the other um, guests that we've had on, the way that people slowly start to change. You don't, it's, it's mm-hmm. that kind of idea of like, what is it? The lobster's boiling in the pot, where if you heat it up slowly, you don't really realize that they're killing them or they don't realize that they're dying. It's kind of that aspect where like, you know, it's a fight here or there. And then it's a whole bunch of love bombing. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I was too drunk. Or I had a really bad day. You don't understand. And there's always reason to it. And it always ends up, you know, everything will be fine. And once you've ended up signing a lease with someone, not that it's, you know, like a marriage, but you're, it's a little bit more ironclad. Than yeah. Just,
0: you're kind of stuck with them.
1: Especially when you're, out of a recession, you know, you have no money. You're expecting this person to pay half their bills, but even that started to dwindle. I was asking my parents for money because he wasn't paying the bills, but he had money to buy booze, but he couldn't pay for our rent or his half of the rent.
0: Yeah. Well, and just to clarify for a second, when I asked the the drinking question, it wasn't just and this is for everyone else, you you know this, but it wasn't as if like the drinking is an excuse. You know, you find that so often these things kind of go hand in hand, alcohol or drug abuse and physical or emotional abuse. I mean, from my own personal experience, I can say that's true.
1: Well, it's a slippery slope too, because on one side, the alcohol, the drugs kind of make you looser, right? Like, so you're more yourself, you're more prone to do whatever, you know, you, you have less inhibitions, right? But then on the other side, it's very easy to say, oh, well, I was just drunk. I was out of control. Exactly. I'm really sorry.
0: I don't remember. I blacked out.
1: I got that a lot. There were, there was actually a time where I was just, had a sneaking suspicion that uh, he and his, his friend, female friend who would come over all the time had a thing for him. And then I would go to the bathroom and something would happen because I would come back and they would start giggling. Like it was almost like when other people around, like people that were on his friends, his side, I was like this odd one out. And I was like, being treated as like lesser, even sort of like part of the group. And I was like, I don't understand why this is happening, but it was only when I was the only one, if one of my friends was there, it wouldn't happen. But there was definitely a time where one of my friends was there and I went to the bathroom and this girl jumped on his lap and then started to kiss him. And my friend got footed like actual, I mean, flip phone, but you know, (laughs) you, you see enough blur that you know what the hell's going on. He showed it to me and I confronted this person after, you know, after all of this time, telling him, you know, I, I think that she has a thing for you. I think whatever. And he was like, no, no, no. And I was like, this happened. No, it didn't. I mean, it, this was towards the end though. I mean, it, it was one of those things where I was so deep in the gaslighting that I almost thought it didn't happen, even though I was holding a phone in my hand that showed me that it definitely did happen. And I was like, well, maybe my friend took a photo of something that I, it's not, I mean, it looks like maybe they were just whispering in the mouth. Like they, you come up with these like weird scenarios that to try and justify reality, because you want to believe this other person. I mean, they, you care for them. You're spending all this time tending to a relationship with them. You go to sleep next to them. You wake up, you know, you go through all these hardships with them. You assume that, that they're in the same place you are mentally, you know, you care about them really deeply and you assume, why would they not, you know, love bombing me with things? Why would they say things that weren't true? I don't understand. I mean, I'm being as open, as honest as I can be. And so it's really hard to ever doubt what they were saying. And so that that reality became my reality. You know, I I was all these things this person told me that I was. I made all of these comments that supposedly I made. And the issue I think that really kind of throws it all askew is that because I was young and I didn't know my drinking tolerance and I was drinking so much, I couldn't a hundred percent, or even if I wasn't drinking, I couldn't a hundred percent say, no, I didn't do that because alcohol was involved. And so I wasn't really paying attention, you know, the way I would, if I was completely sober. So there were actually times as this continued through the course of a year, I mean, every weekend, every few days, people coming over and drinking and having fights and, you know, me running to the bathroom and becoming uncontrollable because someone said something or he said something. And I stopped drinking or I pretended to drink. And then I'd go to the bathroom and you do the kind of tip the cup into the toilet, flush it down. Like, Oh, I have so drunk because I wanted to know what was really going on. And then I would still get caught up in these fights. And I was still told that I did something or I gave a shitty look or I said something under my breath, knowing full well, it never happened. And I was still questioning myself, even sober. I mean, I was so deep in this. It was, it's, I'm like shaking thinking about who I was at that time and the person that, I mean, it, your reality is completely askew. And you know, I, I was consistently on edge. I spent so much of my time trying to control my surroundings to avoid these fights and these altercations because they popped up anytime. I mean, mm-hmm. we'd be driving home from work because we worked nearby. He had a bad day, I'd get screamed at. There were times where if I didn't have food ready, I got off of work before he did. If I didn't have food ready, there'd be a fight. I didn't know it was my job to babysit you and treat you, you know, like we were in a marriage from the 1950s, but apparently it's my job to feed you. I mean, I became very sick. Obviously, mentally, you're like, the whole thing is just kind of off. You just, you don't even realize what's going on. I was losing friends. Another thing, as we've talked about before, is they're very good at slowly picking people off your herd until you're standing there alone.
0: Mm Mm-hmm then you have no no one else to turn to.
1: Exactly. And I'm very very close with my family and then he even tried to work a little magic I think um on my parents which my parents were not tolerating. They were I mean my mom will still talk to you about this. She is absolutely furious about everything that was going on during that time frame. Uh, it was the absolute worst to be, you know, 2000 miles away. And that's the other thing is that This is not something where I was in my hometown, you know, Mm -hmm. where I could just run off to family. I was besides the family that I had created by moving and, you know, becoming friends with people and acquaintances, I had no one right there except for this person. So they became a pillar of my everyday. And that pillar was making me feel crazy. And I was told I was crazy and I was told I was acting insane and my thoughts were insane. And all of the typical bullshit gaslighting things. I mean, I make the joke that like this person invented gaslighting before gaslighting was ever a thing because I never even knew it existed before this. And then when I read about it years later, I was like, holy shit, did they get this guy's number? Oh my God. I thought I was this, you know, violent, uncontrollable drunk woman who's just like thrashing as anyone even tries to touch her and just screaming at the top of her lungs, causing altercations all the time. But I was totally fine every time I drank around anyone but him. I was with some friends out in Vegas with some girlfriends. Not a problem at all. We had no fights. I had a really great time. I was out with some other friends from school, drinking with them. Not a problem. It was only around this person. And for some reason, none of the actualities of life mattered. It was the comments that he was making that rang true in my head for some reason.
0: So, as all of this is going on, are you still? Is this at the point where you are writing for websites and like taking pictures, which is kind of the point that you're at now? Were you involved in all of that at this at this time?
1: Not quite. Um, So that all came later, actually. When I moved to Chicago, I started doing more of that. I started to a little bit in LA, like maybe in like 2011, 2012. But this was back in like 2008. But I, I like I said, I always loved music. I was always going to shows. I got a degree in writing. So it's kind of like what I felt like my that my days should be, even if I'm not getting paid for it. You know, I had these friends, I'm in this new city, even though it's not new anymore, but just it's where I've always wanted to be. And I just really wanted to live life. And I noticed that like, you don't notice it at first. Again, it's one of those things that slowly kind of trickles away or slowly gets peeled away. Where like, I ended up becoming this like husk of who I thought I should be or who I was. I mean, all the stuff that I know that Made me happy wasn't really there most of the time because I was spending so much of my energy exhausted from just living on edge. I don't know that there's proper words to describe the consistent anxiety and like perpetual fear that you feel when you're living with someone who's abusive, verbally, emotionally, physically, or otherwise. I mean, they're about to go off at any moment, and you are, I mean, you are in survival mode. I mean, I had no time to read books or write because I was scared that a plate was going to be thrown across the room and hit me in the face.
0: Oh, was there, so you said it it turned physical eventually. Do you remember that point? Like when it sort of flipped from just being him making you feel like you're a crazy person to, oh, now he's putting hands on me and this is different.
1: It never seemed different. It just seemed like what i deserved at the time i mean now i mean that's so hard to say i'm about i'm I'm tearing up just even saying it because i know it's so wrong
0: well yeah you you know it's wrong now um oh yeah and you wish you could go back and tell kendra from you know 10 11 years ago like this is wrong but definitely it's not like one day all of a sudden there's like a flip that's a, a switch that flips It, um, it is, it's like little things that just sort of get to a point where you don't even realize that it's happening and it just, it's normal to you, which is such a weird thing to say because it's an abnormal thing, but because they just wear you down like that.
1: It's, it's really hard to say or to speak about in general, because I always kind of desired slash positioned myself to be like a strong woman. Like this is who I want to be. I want to, you know, I can be there for the people around me. I can bear the load. I can take on every task that anyone requires of me. I mean, I'm a complete people pleaser, first of all, which is absolutely horrifying for like my anxiety levels. But I always wanted to be there for people. And I always, you know, if someone, especially during my heavy drinking days, if someone, you know, came up to to me during a bar, I'm like, hey, fuck you. Like you don't fuck off. Like, you're trying to be tough. Like I had this kind of idea that I was going to, I wanted to be this tough kind of person or that I was tough in certain ways, or just able to capable maybe, especially like, you know, you move across the entire country before you're even 18. I'm going to, you know, my dream schools, I'm doing everything I possibly can to maintain everything, to make sure I have all the opportunities that I want for myself and I'm fucking handling it. And then this happens. There was a time where when we were still in two different apartments, he was big into like aquariums, for example. He loved fish and he bought this fish. It was a black and white catfish, stuck it into aquarium, didn't really know like how it would deal with the other ones. It ate all the other fish. And this is right on the first time we started dating, came over to his house. All the aquariums are fucking drained, but they're all sitting around except for this one with water in it. So he tells me, you know, this fish is a fucking bastard and I'm killing it by not feeding it. Well, that's not going to fly in my book. So I started slowly feeding the
0: fish. Because you're not a psychopath.
1: Right. And I don't want to see something die because it didn't know not to eat things that were on its menu, like its personal menu. (laughs) And so, you know, it it obviously didn't die over the course of a couple of months because I was slowly feeding it every few days if I could. And there was one night where he was really wasted and he was trying to use one of those scoopers to get the fish out of the tank. And I went to the kitchen. I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm gonna throw this fucker down the garbage disposal, because he wanted it to die so badly. And so somehow I was able to like, talk him down from that and be like, let me just take care of it. Like, you know, this fish is a fighter, like he deserves to live, you know, whatever, like, look, he's, he's gone this far without food, just trying to find a way to keep him from killing the fish. So I took care of the fish when he moved. He actually moved the fish in and I actually still have the fish today He's like 17 years old and he's like tripled in size because I (laughs) actually take care of him Yeah, he's my only pet, but we survived he and I survived together I feel like we're kind of like we've got that kind of like weird like trauma bond
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, for sure
1: But like something like that is such a huge red flag to me. I mean, I'm an animal lover um Nowadays if I saw someone do something like that I'm like wow you're a psycho and I would just walk away but at the time I was like excuses excuses you know rough day at work too much school drank too much so on and so forth like you come up with all this shit and I think partially is because I was stuck on that idea of perfect that it had to be so I kept cramming perfect into this hole that just didn't fit like it just square peg circular hole kind of situation there's so many examples of just how this this was never right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny because as situations I've been in have been a little different, but I, I remember saying one time, this is so great. Like this, this is so perfect. Like why wouldn't it be super hard work to keep this going? And it's like, it shouldn't be super hard work. Right. That's, that's what it shouldn't be. And
1: relationships are work. They're not, you basically cutting yourself open and bleeding all over the floor. Right. I mean, they should be hard work in that you're working together. Yeah. It shouldn't be the
0: hardest thing you've ever done. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's a wonderful point. But yeah, you, you know, you get all these red flags when you look back on them. And as I kind of see myself on this trajectory, I I lose myself, you know, as the Mm -hmm. months go on, I start turning inward. I'm, I'm introverted, extroverted. It kind of depends. But, you know, normally when I'm with someone that I really trust, I talk to them consistently. I mean, I vent to them. I asked them questions about, you know, I mean, I just can't stop talking when I feel close to somebody, but I completely started to turn inward. I stopped, you know, we'd sit in silence in the car. I mean, I didn't want to say anything because I was so scared that the thing I would say would cause an issue. And it was either, you know, this huge explosion, which is very emotionally hard for me. I I don't like loud. I mean, it's funny enough because I love bands and live music, but I hate loud sounds. They make me very nervous, (laughs) but for some reason shows don't do it. And then this deafening silence and the silent treatment hurts me just as much as screaming at someone. So I was living at some point between screaming and the silence, trying to figure out, you know, what my next move is going to be. I mean, just consistently on edge and trying to figure out what I'm always doing wrong to correct my behavior. And my behavior keeps changing because everything I'm doing is wrong. So I try that. That's not right. Try this. That's not right. I mean, it just keeps going on and on you know, when people say like, what was the night, you know, or what was the the time that made you realize, like, when did you finally just break? There are so many times before that time. I mean, the time that I was just over it, I just was worn out. I mean, there was a time before that where he was drunk on the balcony at 11 o'clock at night after a bad day at work. And he was acting absolutely bizarre. He had the balcony door closed and he kept turning around and looking at me through the balcony window or the balcony door. And you know he he'd been really quiet and weird all night so i knew that there was something going on he got on a phone uh after just chugging down beers after beers and he starts talking to whoever's on the other line and i can hear kind of a garbled sometimes clear conversation i don't know what's being said most of the time but i start to hear bits and pieces and at one point he said something about me and my pets like i said two hamsters and a guinea pig um and the fish and he started talking about how he was going to kill us all and that was yeah. And I remember if I was completely sober, but I hadn't been chugging down a ton of drinks. I, I believe that I had been drinking something because I probably wouldn't have had the, the guts if I wasn't drinking to do what I did, which was just, he had his back to, the, to, to me basically in the apartment. And I grabbed a bag, I packed it. I grabbed the cages of the animals and I slowly started bringing them to the elevator, got them downstairs, got them in my car. It took three different trips to do so. And he finally knows on the third trip, as I was closing the door that I was leaving and I ran down the hallway, got in the car, I called 911, I didn't know what to do. I remember being at a gas station uh, on Franklin Avenue in Los Angeles, like shaking, trying to pump gas because I never had any money for gas. I mean, again, 2008. So like I got maybe like six bucks worth of gas and I'm just absolutely shaking, calling 911 and they didn't offer any help. They couldn't give out. They're like, what do you want to do? File a police report? And I was like, well, no, we didn't do anything. I'm just really scared. What should I do? And there was no answer. And so I drove almost an hour to a friend's family's house, Not not just a friend from high school, but her mom and dad's house where she was staying temporarily, where I hid out and basically recuperated for a few days. And her parents were so worried about me but I just felt absolutely terrible. Like this terrible burden. Like I couldn't relax. I was up at all hours. I was scared. He was going to contact me or find me. I was having these horrible dreams. I just remember, you know, that at a certain point I was just like, I am such a liability. He's going to come here and I don't want him to do anything to anyone else.
0: Like you talked about before, the always taking care of other people.
1: I, I was so scared and you know, and of course the whole time he's calling and he's, and I'm not answering and he's texting and I won't answer and he's apologizing and I'm so sorry. And no, that's not what I said. I don't know what you thought you heard. Again, it's that kind of like weird it's on you kind of thing. I know damn well what I heard. There was no, but I started to question it and I did question it, but I knew deep down on this time that it was different than all the other times because I knew what I heard. And the unfortunate part in all of this is that I didn't trust myself. You know, this this could have all stopped a long time ago, but again, you're, you know yourself, but not to the same degree as when you do, when you're older, you don't have, you've gut instincts, but you don't know to trust them sometimes.
0: Well, and especially when you have someone telling you that you're wrong all the time, like what you, what you think is, is incorrect, even though it's, that's not the case. That shit gets into your subconscious.
1: And I don't want this to come off as wrong in any way, but like, I, I wasn't, Around any of that when I was young. Like, I didn't, it was just me. I'm an only child. So it was my parents and me, and my parents didn't do this. Like, if I didn't understand something or I did something quote unquote wrong, we would sit down, we'd have a conversation about what it was. So I could either correct my behavior or I could explain to them why I did what I did. Like, there was very open lines of communication. So I was used to people telling me if something was wrong, that it was wrong. And then we would figure out, you know, how to move forward. I'm a problem solver by nature. And so the whole thing is just me trying to recalibrate, like, how do I fix? I don't know. This is wrong, but also the exact opposite is wrong, but the middle ground is also wrong too. So what am I supposed to do? And I was not strong enough to be like, Hey, what do you want from me then? Like, because I was so scared at every moment that anything I said, I mean, even if I breathed wrong as a response, it would elicit some sort of reaction from this person. And it would be detrimental to me in some way. Um, God is it hard to say like there are so many times where I was almost out and I kept going back either because like the text convinced me or like the situation convinced me where I was like you know how else am I going to pay my rent or like that's my apartment it's mine I had it first for two years before he moved in there like my you know my place
0: because I know this is a common thing for people who go back to situations like this like This time, it'll be different, though. It's not going to be like before.
1: I think from what I remember, that's how it started. You know, we get the apologies, the love bombing, the, you know, excuses of drinking or bad day of work or whatever, like we talked about. But towards what ended up being the end, which I didn't really realize was kind of the final chapter. I didn't think it was going to get any better. I just knew, like, I have to go and figure out a way to work this out. And then I can figure out what my next move is because again, survival mode—you're, you're you're not thinking in advance. You're thinking like right Right now. How do I fix this right now? And then we'll figure out B through D. You know, some other day we don't have the bandwidth to handle this. So, I don't really understand how I came to the idea that it ended, but I, it, it definitely came to an end. It definitely came to a point where I was over it. And I think one of the main reasons why was because I did something I never did before and have never done since, which is cheat on someone. I ended up forging a pseudo relationship with this person who did not live in the area. They'd come through sporadically. We started off as friends and it just reminded me I was a person. Mm -hmm. Through this, this other man, I was able to start to see how he saw me Almost like I was looking through his eyes and I remember that I still kind of existed in a way that I thought I had existed in the world before. And it was at that point where I was like, What the fuck have I been doing? Um, man, I'm not supposed to pry on my own podcast.
0: (laughs) But no, it's like there's sort of that light bulb that goes off where it's like, oh wait, I am worthy of good things and being treated nicely and not like everything I do isn't wrong.
1: It was literally like being in a hole with no light and suddenly like someone moving a boulder away from the, the, you know, the roof. And I'm looking up, you know, 20 feet up and there's a tiny piece of light up there. And I'm just like, holy shit. I forgot that it's light outside. And again, like I do not condone cheating in relationships, but in this scenario, I think it actually probably saved my life. I, I don't know what would happen if I would have stayed in this. Otherwise it was some point after that, I, I stopped catering to him completely. I started calling him out. I mean, I, I, it was like every positive thing this other man had said to me was like one positive change back to who I used to be. So I started calling out the guy I was seeing when he was lying, saying that I was wrong about things, you know, and it was like everything that I said, every time I stood up to him was like this ding in his armor. And I was watching him get weaker and weaker as I was getting stronger and stronger and feeling myself regain my power again. And every time I did that, it was like a little bit of fog started to clear from my head. And I was like, wait, I, I've never been the primary aggressor here. This was a situation like, oh, kind of like what we talked about, you know, presumably for like Deb v. Heard, this is not mutual abuse. Was there abuse on both sides? Yes. Was most of it reactionary? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was fighting for my life. I felt like, and you know, I used to be happy. I used to be excited. I used to care, have friends and family and a life. And I was supposed to be living my life. I mean, I was in my early twenties. And so I just started fighting back and things just started to escalate. And I started getting stronger and stronger. And he actually got to the point where he started saying things like, I don't know what's going on with you anymore. I don't recognize this person you're becoming. And I was like, this is me. Uh, This is me. You think I'm out of control? It's because you're no longer in control.
0: Exactly. He no longer had his had you under his thumb. Exactly. Like you found your voice, found your power, you became the person that you that you had always been. Right. But he wasn't able to push you down anymore.
1: Exactly. And then one day. I had planned this for weeks. I had talked to like my female friends. Like I had a little like core group of girls and we all hung out together. We planned it all out. And I remember he came home from work and I was like, you need to move out. And it was like, "What?" and I've used this before and it's because of this scenario that the end of the Disney movie where you see the giant mega creature that's trying to terrorize like whoever the hero, the hero or heroine is, you know, that you get that final blow in the dragon. And he starts to bleed out and you watch it just flailing around trying to take down everything near it as it's like slowly dying. And that's what I witnessed that day when I was like, you need to move. And I went and stayed with my friend to stay away from all of that. And then there was love bombing. And then there was begging. And I was cold and calloused, especially when he was drinking. Then I was cold and calloused. I was getting angry text messages when he was drunk. Then it was, I'm sorry. I didn't mean any of that. I've just been really hurt by what you've said. It took two weeks two whole weeks to pack of his items in a studio apartment. And he asked for a month and he eventually moved out, but not before asking me to give him the security deposit for the apartment, which I had rented and lived in for two years prior to him even moving in. So like, what are you doing? Trying to take my money? What a giant fuck you. Like that's just now who's nonsensical. Um <laughs> But I, I just remember like that, that first night when it was just my stuff in the apartment all over again. And it was before like smudging your apartment was like a big deal. So I was just me like in the apartment with the fish alone. And I was so exhausted and so scared and alone, but not because of him. It was like, I was scared, but almost in like a positive way, like scared of how many, things are 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 now going to come down the pipeline because i've been able to clear this from my life and like scared because i had to rebuild so much
0: right not knowing what the future holds versus knowing that the future just holds more of you getting yelled at and pushed around and stuff it's a different kind of scared
1: yeah and i will say because i'm not going to lie about it that um maybe a year or so later there was a show in la that i knew he would go to and I got fucking drunk and walked my dumb drunk ass all the way down to the show almost got hit by a car I remember that being on the phone being like well there's a car and then like a bunch of honking and I guess unlike everyone else who has like blurred vision when they're drunk I get this like weird tunnel vision where I just zoom in on like the one person I'm not supposed to see in the entire place so we ran into each other we spent the whole night talking you know, afterward, I think I barfed like all over the venue. Actually, I'm pretty sure I barfed all over the venue and the person had to take me outside. Like it was very embarrassing, but I was so drunk. It didn't matter. And it was weird because I hadn't gotten that drunk in a very long time since he had lived there. And then I was all like, it was just like this weird switch had turned back on, you know, after the show, we talked for a while, his friend was with him. Luckily they were carpooling. So he had to go. Um, and then we continued to communicate for a few days, and then I went up to Santa Barbara to visit some friends, and they slapped sense into me, and they're like, "What are you doing?" And that was at a point where, like years later, we know no more flip phones. Now we're on the iPhones, like three, I think it was. But you were able to block people, and so I blocked the phone number. I blocked everything. I called Verizon and told them, like, get this number, like, do not let this person contact me, because I was so worried because it was suddenly so easy again, and I could I could see how quickly things could slide the wrong way if I didn't remember the truth and not the truth that I was told by this person.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's easy to look back and be like, well, maybe it wasn't that bad. But yeah, it was
1: the idea of like, you only take photos of the things you love. No one takes a photo of their bleeding forehead after a plate's been shattered over it. Exactly. So yeah, it is really easy to, to go back and kind of rose colored glasses, the whole thing.
0: During all this, you said that he was kind of like chipping away at like your friends and stuff. Were you able to like reconnect with those people and sort of explain the situation to them? Did they kind of see what was going on?
1: They all knew. Like the, the female friend group, I said, like they were there mm-hmm. afterwards. We had our own falling out as a group, you know, because you're 20 something and you're growing and you no longer get along because you're different people but it wasn't because of that. They were there the entire time. And even though we don't talk anymore, um, I I can't even thank them for what they've done because I was staying at their house. I mean, they were talking, taking me to Denny's late night to like have me cry and like a raspberry iced tea and some hash browns, like as he's, you know, blowing up my phone. And the the, uh, friend from college whose family that I stayed at or at their house, we were, we were done after that. I mean, me going back was kind of like, I think the final nail in the coffin for our friendship. We might've talked a little bit after that, but we I felt really guilty about not putting her family through that per se, because it was invited, but just going back after they offered so much. I didn't know what else to do. I, I couldn't live at her family's house forever. And I knew eventually I'd have to go back. But I think the fact that I went back and didn't instantaneously end everything Was just too much for her, and rightfully so. I mean, it's really hard. I've been on the other side of it to watch your friend go through an abusive situation and just not really see what's going on the way that everyone else does. It's really hard to stand by and kind of watch that and listen to them try to turn lies into truth. But but a few of the people stayed, but they but they everyone knew what was going on. There was no way that no one. I mean, anyone who was there towards like the middle to end of it, everyone fucking knew he couldn't hide it.
0: At what point did you feel comfortable sort of dating again? And after that, were you a little bit on high alert?
1: Um, yes and no. So I I don't think, you know, I wasn't really born into being a big dater. I I'm pretty okay with being alone. Most of the time, the last, like the, the thirties, late twenties, early thirties of my life have been like the most I've been in relationships. Because they used to be, like, we used to have this joke that, like, my relationships would ask about two, week or, two weeks or so. I would date someone, I'd get bored with them, or they weren't exactly what I wanted. And then, you know, these comments of being, you're hard to be around. Well, I, I didn't know I shouldn't be dating them in regards to boyfriend, girlfriend. We should just be, like, hanging out till I find out that, like, I don't want to be around you anymore, or whatever. <laughs> or you don't like me. So right afterwards, I mean, for a while after, I wasn't really looking to date anyone. I It took a very long time. It was almost like I was, I was back in a relationship with myself. I know that sounds kind of hokey, but like I had forgotten who I was. I mean, it, it was a lot, it was years of relearning things and being in relationships. I mean, I, I definitely dated, you know, years after that, but I also like, it was quickly followed up by this mentality of like, I don't need to date men. I'm just going to use men. Cause I was also in my twenties and I thought that was like feminism um, so this, that kind of like got, you know, it didn't quite coincide, but it kept, it had a quick following with like that. So I think that kept me from dating, but I can definitely say like, I, th- I think now I'm a, little, a bit more open to having a conversation about like, Hey, why did you do this? Or why do you think that to kind of search for the flags when I see something, but definitely like in my mid to late twenties, if I saw something, I would just turn and run. Like I, I'm not fucking around with you if it looks like you might have a drinking problem or I saw you drink too many, you know rum and cokes or again with the rum. Um.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've been traumatized by that. Maybe that's the maybe the rum um. is the, the issue.
1: <laughs> but if I see someone you know just act out, you know, just just can't control themselves when they're drinking and and it's not just you know, everyone has their bad times, right? Like, sure. It's again, slippery slope. You drink too much, you say wrong things, you act like a fucking fool. okay you do it four or five times in a row, it looks like maybe you have an issue. I mean, cut everyone a little slack, but not consistent slack. It definitely has crept in. It's definitely something that I have two. I think the, the gaslighting aspect is something that I deal with maybe not as severely now. Um, I think it's something that I've been able to kind of work through. And I, I feel, I feel probably almost the opposite where so, as soon as someone in a relationship says something, I'm like, don't you fucking gaslight me. Like, And they're like, I was not, I'm just disagreeing with you. And I was like, you're wrong. Um, so maybe it's a little bit the opposite. I, I will say that the other thing that I, I know I definitely have an issue with, I, I've been working through it in therapy, and I don't think it's directly relating to just this relationship, but I think it's was deeply affected by this relationship. But the idea of people saying something to you that's not true to hurt you in some way, or the idea of just hurting people in general for like no real reason, is very hard for me to kind of fathom. Like, I don't know the science behind it, but you know, so many of these situations, we've heard so many different people talk about their toxic relationships or, you know, situations where they weren't even in relationships and they were groomed by someone or gaslit by someone. All of these people have almost a formulaic way that they go about this. And it's so bizarre because it's like, they all read a textbook that we didn't get a copy of. I mean, how do they they genetically inherently know How to slowly turn a person from being like standing on their own two feet, being strong and independent and fearless to this cowering blob of like, you know, a spineless human who's just horrified, you know, to breathe the wrong way. I mean, it takes so long, but they do it in this very specific formulaic way. And all of the stories are so similar. I I just don't understand where this gets picked up. And, and who's passing this terrible thing down from generation to generation? I mean, that part baffles me. But every story we've, we've, to, we've been told and every story I know outside of this that I've talked to other people about in regards to gaslighting is so very similar. I mean, all of the, the ups and downs are different. You know, maybe there's no drinking, maybe it's drugs, maybe there's no drugs, but they, they pick away at the friends and the family and your self-esteem. They're like carbon copy stories, all of them. And it just blows my mind.
0: Going back to you mentioning therapy, at what point did you start going to therapy and explore that and how helpful was that in sort of realizing all of this stuff?
1: It took me a while. I started going to therapy after 2012 when I moved back to Chicago and my dad had passed away. Um, So I started going for other reasons. And then this obviously pops up. Sure, as things do in therapy, and um I'm actually uh, it, in my journey of therapy, as you know, you kind of wear out your therapist one by one because they've given you all they possibly can, and you have to move around. Um, I'm actually doing um, EMDR, which is kind of like oh, a okay. rapid eye movement, and it's to um, assist with trauma that kind of gets stuck in the brain. That's what I'm doing currently. and it's I, I can't speak highly. There's no words to possibly describe like how much this has helped me. I have a whole memories of like, like social related anxiety and trauma about people like viewing me in certain ways from when I was like four years old. And so there's a whole bunch of shit that's like stuck up in there and the relationship stuff just compounds on it because being obsessively concerned with everyone's exterior point of view of what you are definitely feeds into you know this ability to kind of be swayed by people in relationships and people telling you who you are and you're like okay i guess you're right when the only person who should be telling me who i am is myself but it took a very long time to say that and actually believe it i mean i could i definitely probably said that when i was like 26 but i think like in my head as i was saying that there was like liar 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 liar
0: <laughs> i know this is what i'm supposed to say but
1: right a yeah. strong and independent woman, but also like, you're not telling the truth. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. We've been talking about this podcast thing for, I mean, we've been doing it for a year. We've been talking about it for much longer than that. Has doing this been therapeutic in any way when it comes to your, to this, not just this particular story, but your stories in general, sort of hearing other people talk about, their own stories and seeing the similarities. And is there sort of like, a, for lack of a better word, like a weird camaraderie that you feel with uh, you know other guests that we've had? Um,
1: I mean, I think even if I had no trauma, which who has no trauma, everyone has something. I think there would be camaraderie with the guests that we've had on the show. I mean, every person sure. we've had, And and just let the listeners know, there are people that we have interviewed or at least done like kind of a pre-interview conversational, like very lax format with that has never made it to the actual podcast. And every person that we've ever talked to is somebody that I have such deep respect for. And I'm not just saying that because like I'm on a podcast and I should say that or whatever. Like I I literally mean it. It's so heartbreaking and eye-opening. To see how many people, strangers and people that I know or people that I know like four, you know, four circles in like, I don't know you, but I know people who know you or you're three Mm -hmm. states away and I know a band you used to be in or something like that. I mean, we all have something or some things that have affected us and have basically changed who we are for the better or the worse or just for the neutral. I mean, it just changed us. And so hearing these stories, you know, I I don't know if it's a camaraderie so much as like, oh, yeah, me too. Um, Me too. Um, (laughs) 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 But just to know that every person out there, not just the people on the podcast, but every person ever that you deal with on a day to day basis has something that they're harboring that has made them feel less than that has shaken themselves to the absolute core. I mean, it's made me hopefully more empathetic. I don't know how much more empathetic I can be. I cry a lot now. Um, but
0: These are crying times.
1: These are crying times and I am very hydrated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it, all of these things. It could, it could happen to anyone. Having read on the podcast was something for me specifically. I I know them. Uh, I, I formed a relationship with them before the pod. And then after their interview, uh, we've stayed in consistent communication. And I think that they are so strong and they are so brave. And one of the things when I was kind of putting together all my notes and my thoughts in my head and on paper for this, I was like, this is so stupid. You have such more like physically horrific stories of abuse than this one that you're trying to tell. This is just really verbal plus like a couple extras over here or there. It's mostly a verbally abusive relationship and that's not that big of a deal. I mean, and then I, I thought about how Red, you know, made the really great point that It doesn't matter what type it is. I mean, think about the fact, and this is going to, again, sound kind of hokey, but like they say, if you're nice to plants, plants thrive. If you say mean things to plants, plants can die. Now think about what happens if someone consistently says mean things to you, or you say mean, shitty things to yourself. It's verbal is just as detrimental as physical. You may not wear the bruises or the scars on the outside, but they're very much there on the inside and they affect everything that happens to you all the time.
0: It's not the it's not the trauma Olympics.
1: Yeah, but Rich, you know I love to win.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know you do. I know you do. But
1: not in this facet. This is not something I want to (laughs) win.
0: But that's again, that's another thing that we say, you know, it can fuck you up just as much as physical abuse can.
1: Oh yeah. No matter what, you end up putting yourself in a scenario or you end up in a scenario where you're with a person that However, the the abuse settles, be it on your skin or inside somewhere. They they alter your narrative in some way. They alter your body and the way that you exist in the world. And you can't help but question, like, how do I trust myself if I put myself in this situation? I mean, even if it's just the littlest stuff, not even just relationship wise, but you just start tr- to question your decision making because you put yourself in a situation like this, and you know, then you start going through all of the different things you should have done that you could have done. You know, why did you freeze when you should have run? Why did you stay for so long? Why did you go back? And it's, it becomes really hard to trust yourself. And that's a whole nother process of kind of relearning, again, like what I was doing for so long, just kind of relearning who you are. And that the only person who can tell you who's right and wrong and how you should carry yourself through the world is yourself. I mean, no one else, they can try, but you should not let them in. And you have to do your damnedest to keep those people out because even if you're not in a relationship with them, people are gonna try and they're wrong. Whatever they say, it's wrong. (laughs)
0: Enough is a podcast centering on abuse, harassment, and assault in the music scene. To help get the word out, please like or subscribe and share with your friends. If you have been on the receiving end of harm from someone, be it artist, venue owner, audience member, or someone else, and would like to share your story on a future episode, please reach out to us at thisisenoughpodcast at gmail.com. All correspondences are kept confidential.